Welcome to the I'll Think About It podcast. Nothing is off limits in this space because we are interested and curious about everything. Join us for a thoughtful journey into the heart of the deep issues of our day with a few laughs along the way. Let's do this. Well, today we talk about a 70s TV show that some of you might remember. We talk about experts. Are they actually experts if we don't trust them or believe them anymore? Yeah. What did the last couple years do to uh, experts? Right. Well, we'll talk about that. And what about when servers or cashiers turn that? The iPad around and it shows those tip buttons, 15, 20, 25% are custom. Which do you press and why? And why? Why? (laughs) Everyone in line is looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's giving you the guilty look. Well, that's the last on this uh, podcast. Yes. Enjoy. Aaron, today I wanted to get into a subject that I think we've become pretty good at, and that is movie reviews, TV reviews, and it's a subject I never even thought we would be discussing in our podcast. What? What do you mean? I don't know. I When we talked about doing this, it was sort of serious subjects, and these are so much more lighthearted. Although we have talked about some serious subjects around movies and TV shows. Sure. True. True. We but, we, we have brought up some ancillary issues culturally. Yes. Yes. But this has turned out to be a lot more fun talking about uh, movie reviews. I think mainly because it, yeah, it talks about how they relate to our culture, you know, especially, you know, historical movies that you've brought up versus current movies and everything surrounding that. So you said you had a series you started and I want to hear about it. Yes. I started another series Basically, if it's available on Amazon Prime, it's a possible target for my viewing. And the one that I started was Starsky and Hutch. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wait, Starsky and Hutch has the car, right? Yes, right. Okay, so for anybody our age, they would kind of remember this show. Yes. Uh, And by the way, there was a movie that came out, I want to say, in the early 2000s. I did not see the movie, so I have no idea if that was any good or not. I think it got a very low IMDb, so I'm assuming that was bad. But the original 70s show is interesting because it's a very, it's kind of a modernish, but yet lighthearted, yet violent, yet dark, yet well-written kind of thing. Uh, wait, the, wait. I know. That's it, a lot of It's a lot. It's hard to understand. <laughs> it is. Because I remember it as a kid as just being this, cool car and these guys going around busting up bad guys in in my kid brain that's that's what it was that's all i remember but it's actually it's it's a bit more interesting that first of all it's it's much better written than a lot of of shows of that era i mean like if you try to watch charlie's angels it's kind of unwatchable to be honest with you is it because it was my favorite show growing up it's just not it's just not that good um i mean there's a few episodes but it it's just not that good. They had hired some good writers for this. You can tell this the script is is pretty good and it's also based on true characters. Apparently there were a couple of New York detectives that had their own approach to crime fighting, shall we say, that it's based on I don't know how closely based on it, but that's where you get this concept of these two detectives that are kind of on their own. They're not detectives in the way we think of them as they have their they're given they're assigned uh, a case to go deal with. These guys are a little bit more on their own. Yes, they are given some assignments, but 
um, they tend to just discover these things they have to do. <laughs> were they like given a long leash or a pretty they... long oh, okay. leash? Yeah. Okay. And uh, they also do take liberties that people would be horrified if it happened in real life. They'll rough up some, uh, you know, bad guys to get information, that kind of stuff. It's at least thus far, I'm, I'm still in the first season, almost finished with the first season. I don't think it's past uh, any line of unacceptable, but they're definitely pushing boundaries. I think that's the idea, at least in part of the show. The thing with it is that it it's clearly in L.A. It takes place in L.A., but they don't call it L.A., but they film it almost exclusively in the darker, seedier parts of 70s L.A., which I find fascinating. So they are not trying to show, they're not going into the nice parts of town. They're not dealing with a lot of, uh, like Columbo, there was, there, he always was in a nice part of town. It was always a rich person. <laughs> he was in mansions all the time. This is the exact opposite. We are dealing with the, the underworld, or at least the 70s TV viewership concept of what the underworld was. And I like this more stark viewing and feeling kind of a show. On the other hand, the two leads, they have this really close kind of bromance relationship with each other. And it's fascinating because this is something that we are more accustomed to today in the modern era since the 90s, I guess. You did not see that kind of thing back then. You didn't see uh, close... It's almost like an intimate relationship that they have with each other. They're very tight with each other, like brothers. They and and I I think it's a very it makes it makes the show a lot more interesting than it otherwise would be. There's a little bit of um odd couple kind of aspect to it. One, you know, eats everything healthy and the other one doesn't. <laughs> uh one has no problem getting the girls, the other one always, you know, is struggling a little bit. You know that kind of thing, that kind of vibe. But they always got each other's back and they always uh, clearly care for each other and their well-being. And so as partners and a police force, that works very well for them because they're very loyal to each other in that sense. But it's a really nice relationship that they have between them. It, no, it's not gay or anything like that. Although I think, I think some of the 70s writers used to tease it that way. But it's definitely not that. It's these are very straight characters. Uh, but it is a, it is a very it's a close uh, relationship between two adult men in a way that you just didn't used to see back then. You only the only thing you ever saw was man and men and women relationships in uh, movies and TV. And this was one of the first times I think I've ever seen where you had more of uh, that. A kind of tighter relationship between two adult males. It'd be similar to my what you might see in a war movie or something like that. Okay. Uh, well, they're in. It sounds like they're possibly in circumstances that force them to rely on each other. To rely on each so other, they, sure. And uh, also, I do have to comment that it's a lot of uh, dialogue about Starsky and Hutch, a show that I only remember for the car and I think <laughs> that the that they wore like tight pants. Uh, well, yeah, they're they're wearing I, the guys are in good shape. There's no there's yeah, no doubt. They were like that. tight clothing I, actually, and like really magnificent hair, maybe. Uh, well, one of them, the dark the dark hair guy, has yeah. a big head of hair. Okay, but, uh, I think the blonde guy, his hair is thinning a little. Is bit. Is it okay? Um, I but, just remember hair and yeah, like tight clothing. There and was a car. hair and clothing and. Uh, and there's beautiful women and, okay. um, 
Yeah, it's very it's much almost Miami Vice ish of the seventies uh, a little bit. Kind of, but I think much better. I think Miami Vice is. <gasps> maybe is, you need to do Miami Vice next. Well, maybe at maybe some we point. Look at that. Yeah, there is. So the car, uh, what most people remember is the car, and it, they had a. Oh gosh, I can't remember. It's a Ford. It's a it's a coupe, a okay. kind of a sporty car. I don't know if it would be considered a sports car, but it's painted red with a white stripe along the edge it's really this is one of the more ridiculous aspects well, because like it's not a cop car <laughs> it, well they put you know how they put the little revolving oh, they would stick it they would stick it yeah, on the top with right. their hand okay uh but the thing is it's such a recognizable car that no like all of the You're like i wonder who's coming <laughs> yeah all the perps would know right by because they would the word would get around but the thing is, it belongs to, it's actually the personal car of one of the two guys. And the one who doesn't own the car is not into cars at all. In fact, in the beginning, he has like a really crappy car. And so they were teasing each other about their car. And at one point, the one who doesn't have that famous car, he says, oh, what are we going to drive around in the striped tomato now? <laughs> and it's just a very funny, because that's what it looks like. It's, it's red with a white stripe. It's like a stripe. So that's what, every time I see it, I call it the striped tomato. Anyway, the point is, uh, for a 70s show, it's shockingly well-written. It is it was pretty formulaic, but the, the acting is, the two actors, they're actually pretty dang good actors. I got to tell you. Considering the material they're working with, they do, a, I think, a very nice job. Also, they clearly do a lot of the stunt work, which is they're in really good shape. So these guys, these guys are doing a lot of the stunts, uh, at least the stunts that aren't overly dangerous, but much more so. It kind of reminded me of the Wild Wild West where uh, – what's that guy's name? I can't remember. His, but he was a stuntman uh, by trade, I believe, before he did that show. It was an actor. And so he did a lot of those stunts as well. So you see that uh, it does get a, a little violent, maybe for some people. It's a little bit raw uh, by some standards. On the other hand, if you've watched a lot of violent modern movies, it's yeah. So you've become so like you know desensitized. Yeah. Well, one of the two actors, one of the two leads, he actually tried to pull out after a couple or three seasons. I think they only did five because he felt it was getting too violent and he didn't want to be associated with it anymore. They kept convincing him to stay. And finally, I think they, they gave up the show because clearly he just didn't want to, he didn't want to do that type of show anymore. And uh, rather than try to get a replacement, they just moved on. So anyway, I will give a further update on if I think it holds together more than a season or two, but it's thus far, I think a lot of people would enjoy Starsky and Hutch. Especially, you know, for those of us who's a little bit going down memory lane a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Really quick. Yeah. Did they open the doors to the car or did they jump in through the window? Like in. Uh, you're thinking of Dukes of Hazard. I know. I know it. They jumped through the window. They jumped through the window, but I couldn't remember if Starsky and Hutch did that also. Uh, they, they go in and out of the. Okay. The, they open the door. They open the door. <laughs> Most of the time. I mean, I'm trying to remember if there was any okay. case where they didn't, but yeah, it, the Dukes of Hazard is when they would jump through the door. The, by the way, oh. another show. It's probably unwatchable. Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, I, oh, that's there are like a, so many problems with that show. Yeah, it's. But I have to tell you, it was as a child, oh, it was a kid, one of yeah. my favorite shows. And looking back on it, it's pretty, it's pretty horrifying how terrible yeah, it's, that show was. It's, it, they were doing so many things wrong. It's it's uh, it's kind of a kid show almost, really, 
when you think about it. Well, because you can't, as a child, you can't actually understand, you, you can't truly grasp the problems of that show as a child. Oh, the, there is that. Yeah. yeah. Like, you don't even know why they're doing it. But that's why they have. They're like, they're like making illegal alcohol. They're like running from the <laughs> police. Right. They've true. got Daisy Duke barely wearing any clothing. They've got right. like, you oh. know, it, she's like not very smart. Like, you know, they've got like, <laughs> that's true. There's so many, like this racist. They're like, they got the Confederate flag. Like they, they're like, there's so many problems with that show. But as a child in the seventies, you, you know, in early eighties, you just didn't. And Boss Hog. Oh, and Boss, Boss Hog. Hog. Right. With yeah. his big hat. With the big hat. Yeah, his big head. And he had a big head. Yeah, right. no, like there was. <laughs> yeah, that, that show is, didn't they try to make a movie of that? They or? did. I, I don't know who. I never watched it. I never watched it. Yeah, I something tells me I mean, that like, why would I be bad too? Yeah. Um, There's not there really really wasn't much to re redo in that movie. <laughs> or in that or, yeah, in that movie. But I I start, we started watching a TV show mm. a couple weeks ago and we are now almost through the third season and it's fantastic. Okay. And it's called All Creatures Great and Small. And Isn't that a biblical no, reference? No. No, no, no. It's or is that, well, is, that well, is that the title of a novel? The t- or something? It, well, yes. Okay, so it's James Harriet. He's a vet. Well, the TV show is based on him during the late thirties, and he went on to be a great vet over in the in England. Okay. And he wrote children's books. He wrote a book. That's got to be the all, title of a because that yeah, it's very all creatures familiar. great and small that, about all his different veterinary. I see. Okay. Um, experiences throughout his career and life. But the TV show focuses on his life during the 30s, the late 30s. Mm-hmm. It is an absolutely delightful show. In the U.S.? In the U.K. U.K. Okay. So he's from Scotland. He comes down and gets a job as an Eng- at an English veterinary practice, a country veterinary practice where they're practicing on – they will do they do household pets. You know, they call it the surgery, you know, that where people are bringing in household pets. But mm-hmm. their main stable of business is, you know, cows and horses and sheep, right. farm, 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 farm animals. Community yeah, farm stuff. community. But it's it's a delightful show. It's mm. It shows that you can – Make a show with good actors, good writers, good character development, without any rated R content. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Doc Martin, uh, you know, where it's small town village kind of stuff, the way you're describing it. Why are we, those things always seem to be better done in the UK, doesn't it? Uh, those well, they of... have a lot of, it's Masterpiece Theater mm-hmm. is doing it, and they have a lot of good subject subject matter to you know, use for this. I mean, I was based on what he'd written already, but they just did such a good job putting this together. They didn't try to add in any, there's no language. Mm -hmm. There's other than common, some common language expletives, but I mean like a low, (laughs) not, not bad. And, uh, and you said you're into the third season. We're into the third season. We only have a couple left. And it's maintained itself. Yeah. I mean, when was it broadcast? It's current. It's, oh, it's going right now. Yeah, okay. third season is, it's in, it's like the, we're waiting for the next episode to come out. Mm. And we just love it so much. But the other side of it is that because he was a vet, they don't just kind of glaze over that part of the practice and focus just on the character, on the story. The animals are part of the story. So if the, he is out, like helping a horse deliver its baby, he is like, got his hand in there. He's turned the baby around. I mean, turning the foal around. He's... He is, it is hands-on. So you see 
all the stuff that's going on. So it's pretty realistic as far it's, as the vet it, side goes. It's almost documentary level, but it's not a document. It's a TV show. So if you're at all interested in animals and they care about the animals and the welfare of the animals, you have that whole side of it. But mm. then there's a story going on. I just, it, it's it's delightful. And it's it would be hard for, I, I recommend it for anyone to watch. And you get a couple couple shows in and you just love everyone what are you watching it on we watch it on masterpiece theater so we go into amazon prime and then you have to do the masterpiece theater add-on to watch it so you do need to pay more or you just buy the season Mm -hmm. so you just can decide what you want to do uh right now you know we've watched season one we've watched season two that were already loaded but season three you can't just we have to let those the next episodes come out, mm-hmm. so we've got to pay that monthly fee until. Yeah, but I, it's worth. It is one hundred percent worth it for us. I kind of had this rule, like until I run out of the free stuff. Well, I guess it's not free because I'm paying for Prime, but until I run out of stuff there, I I just try not to pay for anything. <laughs> yeah, it, but you could be in a situation like with this. I don't know that you would ever get it for free because it's always going to be probably maintained in masterpiece theater Mm -hmm. i mean i say always but you know i mean wasn't that used to be on public television masterpiece theater it is pbs yes but now that springs up an interesting topic doesn't it how is that you're getting funding from the government and then charging the public to view the show well what does masterpiece theater i don't know how that fits into the pbs network all right well i'm just pointing out something yeah but if it's broadcast on pbs that means it's probably produced by them but how means it's at least in part taxpayer funded but who whose taxes because this is a british show yes in that case and most masterpiece theater is but if it's paid for by (laughs) yeah i don't know that's a good that's a really good question i mean we used to watch when i was a kid i remember masterpiece theater was on PBS here in the States. Yeah. And I don't know if it's fundamentally a UK production. It wouldn't surprise me because I seem, seem like a lot of the actors had British accents, but yeah. Well, and who is the, uh, gal, uh, the lady who is the lady detective or the lady sort of Sherlock Holmes, uh, Agatha Christie it wasn't Agatha Christie. She was here in the U S it was a TV show that went on forever. Oh, I don't know why I even brought it up. Cause now I can't remember who, who the lady was. Oh, you're not talking about, Angela Lansbury. Yes. Oh, okay. Again, this is a show. I, I I have a cousin who thinks that this show, she, she just loves that show. It's Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, I Murder, She it. Wrote. Thank you. I tried to watch. It's unwatchable to me. <laughs> it's absolutely unwatchable. And I like Angela Lansbury. I think I've liked a lot of her stuff. And so I was thought, oh, well, this, this is, I can't watch that show. It's terribly formulaic and predictable. I just well. Do you think a lot of old mysteries were formulaic? But see, that's not that old. I mean, that's uh, what eighties and nineties. I want to say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that show was that might really kind of be the last big thing she did, and it was on forever. It seemed like it was ten seasons or so. Oh, there were so many seasons. Maybe more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they had a lot of guests. Well, they and they. I think they stopped it, and then they brought it. Would bring it back, and I think it had a couple different. Yeah, it it was. Yeah, that was one that I couldn't. I, I tried. I could not get past that because the just the right. It was just lame to me. <laughs> we tried to watch it because we had, the kids were really into detective series and, and mystery and 
We went all through Monk, which I think I've talked before yeah. about. Monk is so good. I think that would be way better. Oh, Monk is amazing. Monk is just fantastic. That show. would be better. I told you House. I thought House MD was decent. Yeah, House was good. Um, House is. There's some parts that I don't know that were are for children though. Whereas oh, that's that's actually a good point. That is yeah. much more adult. Yeah, and so I think yeah. with when you're talking with I mean younger teens, there I mean he has his yeah. addiction issues, and there's a sure. lot of adult subject matter in there. Yeah. Where Monk and so I think when I was looking for detective shows, I was looking for something that was you know intriguing enough for a young teenager to watch. This was a couple of years ago, but also not. The adult level content wasn't too deep where it was like, ah, oh, that's just too heavy. Right. So. Okay. Well, that's probably it for our media. I know, <laughs> but there's always more to talk about. I feel like there's so many like obscure shows out there to bring back into public focus. There like are, Starsky and Hutch. Well, I, I, I was so pleasantly surprised because my expectations are low because a lot of stuff that was popular back in the day. There's a reason why people don't watch a lot of that stuff now. Well, that's a good question. Is it because we are saturated with, like, there's just so much content out there. How do you decide? How did you pick Starsky and Hutch? How do you pick uh, Columbo? Like when you're, is it, I mean, you, you just gave me a little bit of a teaser. You said you're looking for something that you could watch for free through Prime. Yeah. So if, that's like. Yeah. Although I actually purchased uh, the DVDs for Columbo, okay. but that was because I already, I just like it. So I just decided to do that. And I did that with Lucy too. But yeah. If I, I'll give something a, a try if I remember liking it, especially as a kid, like Starsky and Hutch. But my expert, again, my kid brain <laughs> might have liked something that, like, I watched uh, Dukes of Hazard as a kid. I mean, what, what kid didn't? Cool car, you know, and chasing around and. Yeah. Got the bad guy and boss hog. I mean, it's like a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Well, that. Well, I, I mean, like Gilligan's Island or Gilligan's Island, yeah. right? Which is mm, that's, that's difficult to to watch more than a few episodes of that. I could not get enough Gill Gilligan's Island when I was growing up. Yes. Like I loved that show, Thurston Howell the Third. He like always Lo looked like Lovey. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes, Lovey. <laughs> <laughs> And oh, ginger was, like what was ginger doing the whole uh, time except hanging out in her bathing suit yeah she was hanging <laughs> well she yeah, had to have the beautiful one yeah. but then uh what was the, marianne was actually she was a pretty actress too marianne was pretty and she so, was i mean she they didn't play cute. her up that they played yeah. her more as the practical and the, she was getting the down stuff down home young she was woman. The country gal yeah right? the country gal right and ginger was more of the well the isn't it the movie star right it, yes. from the theme song yeah a movie star. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> And she then was. it was, and then they had all this intro for the, and then the professor and Marianne were just the throwaways. Yeah. The professor and Marianne. Like, <laughs> it's like they didn't get nothing yeah. in the song. Just throwaway. Uh, anyway, sorry for. Those writers just, I don't know. They didn't seem to, they didn't have to try very hard on that. They didn't have to try very hard. <laughs> a low bar. <laughs> it was a low bar. And that show probably went on too long too. Oh yeah. And uh, the characters got quite old. Uh, what was the. The mate's name? I can't think. Gilligan. Gil of Gilligan, of course. That The whole thing with Gilligan. It's, oh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, people, if we're boring you to death on memory no, lane. No, everyone wants to go down <laughs> Gilligan memory lane right, they, with us, right? The, the theme song, though, top, top yeah, marks. Yeah, yeah, no. Sure. It, it's everybody, one everyone remembers, everybody remembers to this day. One. Well, okay, to begin our discussion on experts, 
because that's what we're talking about yep. today. Um, I wanted just to throw out a phrase that I kept hearing in all my reading research on this subject, and that phrase is anti-intellectualism. Okay. And that term was coined in the 60s, and it basically describes a, a person who is has negative attitudes towards scientists, academics, in uh, other experts. And the anti-intellectual is someone, well, they use that phrase in a lot of articles that I pulled up that were written during 2020, between May and November of that year, as describing the people that were questioning COVID. And okay. this is not meant to be a discussion specifically about COVID. However, well, that's when a lot of this has become so obvious. Yes, because that was more such a magnifying glass on this problem that we're going to talk about COVID in this discussion just because it was basically an experiment on how we all feel about experts. So this this anti-intellectualism of the 60s, is it in fact the same as the way it's used pejoratively today? No, I, no, it's it's it, absolutely not. Did it mean not. something different? Well, I think it meant something different in the 60s, but they're using it now using as... The term the, now. So what did they mean in the 60s by that term, anti-intellectualism? Well, Hofstetter wrote a book called Anti-Intellectualism. In Hofstetter? Hofstetter, Hofstetter. Is that, is that his last name? Yes, okay. his last name is Hofstetter. Wrote in Anti-Intellectualism in American Life after observing with dismay and disgust how the Republican Party, much of the media, and many Americans insulted and mocked Adlai Stevenson as an egghead throughout the 1950s when the former governor of Illinois ran for president. The result is a book of personal passion, to use its author's words, that traces the ugliness, and this is... This next, these next sentences are insane. That traces the ugliness of anti-intellectualism throughout American history, from the populist stupidity of glory, glorifying the everyman while denouncing the expert to the superstition of religion and the excessive egalitarianism of the left. The country founded by men of enlightenment is often dim. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Cause does this sound like a little bit of political propaganda almost? Because even today, you'll you'll hear the the uh, the Democratic Party always tries to put itself up as the learned party, and the Republicans are a bunch of uneducated rubes. And so it sounds like the Republicans in that that particular presidential cycle were trying to channel that. Uh, that feeling that a lot of normal people might have about those who always act like they're smarter than everybody else and kind of tar and feather Adlai Stevenson with that vibe. And then the, the left's reaction is, well, you know, you guys are just making fun of the fact that he's smarter than you type thing. And, oh, yeah, you Republicans, you guys are a bunch of idiots anyway. Yeah. That's what it sounds to me. So not much has changed in a way because even today – I think the Democrats try to, at least a lot of people on that side of the political spectrum will try to uh, gather the mantle of we're the smart ones and uh, the Republicans are the dumb ones or the conservatives who usually are more on the religious side believe in their myths and mythologies. Or <laughs> the religion of superstition also. Right, yeah. yeah. And so. it, the fact that this is written in 1963 – 
that he's writing this about right. his book, it, it, it's like it could have been written today. Yeah, it's it's very similar. It's, his his comments have stood the test of time, like you said, almost as if these are democratic talking points. Yeah, the thing is. When you look at the COVID thing, Fauci was put up there, right, as this admitted egghead in his field. And we're all supposed to just say, well, he knows better than the rest of us. He's the quote unquote expert. And I'm just a rube who doesn't know any better. Therefore, I will defer to his uh, grand vision, wisdom and knowledge on the matter. Meanwhile, he's essentially setting de facto public policy that affects everybody in the country and to some extent the rest of the world. Well, yeah, and he's changing it. Yeah, he's changing it. Well, that's what I mean. I mean science that- changes. Science evolves based on new information. We're not science, the study of science, but you get new information and then you can revise. Yeah, the 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 conclusions that we draw can change as data as new data and uh, methods change yes. over time. Yes. That is true. <laughs> However, that usually takes more than a week or two. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or even a day or two in some cases with some of these crazy things that happen in the COVID era. You just didn't you almost didn't know from day to day what supposedly was the right thing to do. Well, and who was the we had obviously there was Anthony Fauci, and then you have you know Rachel Walensky, the head of the What's CDC, the, uh, CDC, and the, the National Institute of Health, right? NIH. That, well, that that's uh, is I guess CDC is a part of NIH, right? Yeah, or is it the well, other way around? One of them, something like that. Nonetheless, you had all of these experts, and the the issue is is in these cases, and we can look at other experts too, but in these cases. When experts, you can be an expert in your field, but then also when you when you're an expert in your field, but then also making public policy decisions. Right. Was he, Fauci an expert in economics? Was he an expert? You know, like he his he might know, like he might be able to say, "Well, I know how to stop the transmission of disease," but also, can he also say, "I know what it means in." economic forecast i know what it means you know it like okay i have a lot to say about this but before we get too far down that i let's first what do we mean by expert well gosh there's different definitions of what an expert is but you could let's go back to this anti-intellectualism uh definition an expert is someone who has reached the top of their field okay so based on like definitions we would say they've studied the high they've they've studied everything they can on their subject, and they've reached the pinnacle of their career on that subject. Right. And so so they are people that have been um, anointed by their own profession. Yes. And have been generally expect, accepted by the public as being learned men in that particular field. Yes. Or women for our women, or women. listeners. Yeah, sorry. Just, yeah, well, sorry. you know, like, you know. <laughs> well, when you say the phrase learned men, that's like an old phrase, no, right? <laughs> I, that was actually a little bit of a joke. I'm just saying, I know we have women listeners, so I wanted to no, you can, make sure. You, you can poke me anytime you poke want. Poke yeah. Okay. So, okay. So the expert is basically somebody with a degree and some kind of accolades in their field, a specific f- field. Now, in order to be an expert... The vast majority of experts have to narrow their their field of view 
into a very specific area. Yes. They are by definition not generalists. That's exactly right. You you, you can think about it like you're moving it to the top of a pyramid Mm -hmm. almost because – Maybe at the very bottom, you graduate from college and they give you a well-rounded education. But as you start moving up through like a PhD program, you're getting more and more specialized in your subject matter. So you're moving away from the general. You're moving away from the general. To to the specific. But what that means is that the the more expert-like, more expertise they get in that, to some extent, the less broad their overall knowledge base is. Of course- Highly intelligent people and people that assimilate a lot of information, they can kind of keep somewhat of a broad thing. But generally speaking, the more hyper-focused you get in in a field of expertise, the less you're going to know about the broader world. Which means (laughs) that these are not people you want making decisions that are going to affect anything outside their field of expertise. Because they're not spending any time thinking about it or worrying about it. And nor should they be. It, exactly, because it's not, it's not the function yeah. of, of being an expert, typically, right? They're very hyper-focused. It would be like um, in medicine, we see this a lot now, where people just go from one specialist to another. I go to the cardiologist, he's going to give me medication for my whatever my heart condition is, but he may never even ask me what medication the orthopedic surgeon gave me for, for my broken leg. And because they're they're not worried about that, they're in their one special little field, and they're not they're not thinking outside the box. This is why general practitioners or doctors of osteopathy can be very valuable because they are usually looking at the broader picture of what's going on with you as a patient. I was just going to say there can there is somewhat of the car in order for the college cardiologist to be the best. Yeah. You do want that person fully functioning in their area of expertise, right. moving to the top of their field. In that but, area. It, but it gives him a de facto blind spot outside yes. of that. Yes. And so you see a lot of people now going to these functional medicine doctors that are a lot more linked in or are interested in mm-hmm. other systems in the body because right. we're finding more holistic. I hate that word, but, but literally in this case, the entire body and what is going on rather than just, okay, I know everything about the heart. Um, yeah. If I, if I give this medication long-term, it's actually going to affect a hormone over here. Sure. And maybe I don't know much about hormones because I've left that to the endocrinologist. Right. And, but then I'm not recommending my patient see that endocrinologist and I'm keep treating this one, you know, and so you, you can, yeah, you can see where it breaks down. Yeah, yeah you can break. In. And that's something that I think a lot of people may maybe have experienced in their own personal yeah, life, absolutely. this problem. But then if you go to the level of somebody like Anthony Fauci making decisions that are essentially going to determine whether or not in Anchorage, Alaska, small businesses can open for business. Well, like to your point, what does he know about the consequences? Does he even care? Has he even thought about the consequences of these policy decisions? And I would submit that he neither knows nor probably cares. That's probably a personal, uh, you know, unfair statement for me to say. But that's certainly the vibe I got seeing him time and time again on TV and just a simple example is the wearing or not wearing of masks and social distancing. 
Because in order to mandate masks and social distancing, that means some businesses literally cannot function. So in his world, he's saying, oh, well, we just have to do, this is what we have to do to prevent the spread. Okay, fine. If that is true, whatever. I'm not going to argue whether or not that's true at this point. But when he does that, and when every other state health agency says, well, we're just doing what Dr. Anthony Fauci is recommending. And oh, by the way, as a result of that, uh, restaurants can't be open. That's a problem. That's a major problem because nobody except for him thinking only in his little box thought of the broader consequences. Now, what should have, of course, happened is he should not have that power. His power should never be beyond recommendation. But what all these uh, agencies did and these states did is they basically abdicated their rights or, or their authority to him as a way of protecting themselves for making what may have turned out to be the right or wrong decision. Well, I think you bring up a really good point because the abdication by the people in power, by the government, right. or them ceding their power actually to quote unquote experts. Or like their responsibility. The responsibility. I think that was the uh, the larger problem at hand. And it wasn't in a lot of cases that people didn't like experts, so to speak. It's that they felt like the experts took over the role of elected officials. They absolutely did. And yeah. so it was like. And so then there's no recourse on the part of the, the population if they don't agree with they that. They can't vote them. How do, you, you can't, you can't vote, vote Fauci out, you know, because they were You can't even argue with them. Yeah. And because so, what would happen if if you said if you I don't know got on Twitter whatever and you, you said you know this thing with the mask it doesn't make sense I am myself uh, a, a general practicing doctor and I can tell you this this doesn't make sense because X Y and Z what would happen to that guy that doctor or even just the average Joe who posted something like that he would be told oh well this is not your expertise your opinion does not matter you're not allowed to pontificate on this because the expert has spoken spoken and what did fauci say that one time uh people who disagree with me don't disagree with science <laughs> yeah know, like he, how can you he, even what do you put, even say to that he you put can't. on the mantle his the man his shoulders he said i am science is essentially what he's saying and so yeah it's impossible it's like the to joke argue. that like never you can never stop laughing at it's like but, are, but are you, you know what the thing is it worked he got away with that. And the media and everybody, they were all in on that. Oh, well, Dr. Anthony Fauci says this. Well, I think he's wrong. Are you a doctor? Have you, do you have his kind of credentials? Well, no, I don't. Well, then your opinion doesn't matter. Well, it's even worse than that, Aaron. It, what it actually is, is are you an anti-intellectual? Well, then that's the whole subtext. Exactly. If they don't, uh, even, it comes full circle comes back. Full circle. It, yeah. Okay. I uh, know it's why do you question that expert? Are you anti-intellectual? Because if you're anti-intellectual, you are also, you know, you are basically a flat earther. Right. You probably deny the Holocaust. Science you, denier. Science denier, climate denier. Right. You're, you're, you're like the list of things that fall <laughs> under the, oh, it's like you don't like, uh, and another thing I read, you, uh, you deny most history. You also don't appreciate art. <laughs> Right. The list of things, it just kept growing. And so you you end up, you're not just like labeling someone as not listening to the... You're, you're basically, cre you're, you're, you're turning them into a pariah of society, of proper society in a way. 
it's <laughs> it's a very interesting circumstance. I don't know. Um, is there an example of this happening in the past historically? A similar kind of cultural event where the the intelligentsia or the the expert class basically rises to power outside the normal power structure. I mean, there probably is a. a well, I mean, you can go back really far and say, I and mean, that's was the church back in the day. Um, how so? Well, you had the you had the church. Mm-hmm. You know, taking control of the government back in medieval Europe, where you know, they were the intelligentsia and 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 well, education was certainly tightly coupled with um, the church because that was typically how you would get educated, right? It was somehow through or with the church. So I could see that, but in any case, it in modern history, it, I can't, yeah, I can't it's, think of it's a, it's, it's a, not in a duplicate way. Like it's this. a fascinating set of circumstances. And the other thing too, I mean, think about what it's actually saying though. It's actually saying that in a country like the United States where everybody has had minimally a high school degree in the vast majority of cases, you're too stupid to understand what we're talking about. That's really what they're saying. None of your opinions have any value because you're too uneducated and stupid to understand why we're right. And a lot of people bought into that. A lot of people still believe that to this day. Oh, I think most intellectuals at... Actually, I don't want to use the word intellectual because I think there are plenty of intellectuals that don't have college degrees even. Undoubtedly. Yeah. So I'm going to say educated people, People with letters after their name. There you go. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I wanted to go on on that note. I wanted to go back to a quote I saw from a journalist, Charles Pierce, and he wrote a book called Idiot America, which you can say already. Yeah. Anyone who writes a book like that – so well, I'm well. It could go either way, right? He could be saying it and pointing out how the idiots, so-called of America, are really aren't idiots. That's or not what he's doing, yeah, he yeah. he went he went more the literal. Yeah, he's got the rise of idiot America today represents the breakdown of a consensus that the pursuit of knowledge is good. It also represents the ascendancy of the notion that the people whom we should trust the least are the people who best know what they talk are talking about. Well, okay. And I'm kind of in that category. I mean, I don't think I'm an idiot, but I'm at the point now where some of the people I least trust, trust are the ones who supposedly have the most knowledge and thing. And that's because they, their conflicts of interest are so powerfully obvious that, that they are no longer trustworthy. Well, I think that's what it comes down to. If you can gauge, if you believe the motives of the expert are in question or are suspicious, then it is very difficult to trust that. They did studies on how people trust experts. And as it turns out, a lot of people still trust experts. It just depends on what the expert is an expert in. Mm -hmm. So they did a study where they said, we're going to help you learn how to win a contest. And we've got all these people who will are experts in winning contests. It was like raffles and it was mail-in stuff. And you're allowed to seek advice from these experts. Most of the people 
wanted to seek advice from the experts on how to win these contests. And there was going to be monetary benefit benefit if they won. They were going to, you know, win prizes. To the experts or just to the people? To the people. Okay. There was going, they were going to win prizes if they, tr- they would truly win prizes if they did the contest correctly and did it well. And so they were offered all this expert advice. Most of the people wanted the expert advice. And why did they want the expert advice? Because it was, this was not politically motivated. There was no, there was, was very, no obvious conflict of interest there was no, of the experts. No, right? no, they, it's like, do you want this person's advice? They've won contests before and everyone said, yeah, tell me how to do it. I think that to generalize any experts who is in a field that does not in any obvious way affect public policy, laws, any of that kind of stuff, I would be inclined to go along with. So I don't know if you're, if, uh, what do they call the insect doctors, ornithologists, I think. If you're an expert in ornithology, I'm going to probably be inclined to whatever you say about insects, I'm going to go along with because I don't think it's going to have any bearing on uh, – like you don't – there's no obvious conflict of interest there between what you're about to tell me or what I'm asking you about and whether or not I can um, um, turn on my lights after 9 p.m. or or, uh, turn on my air conditioner after 7 a.m. or something. Whereas if I talk to a, quote, energy expert (laughs) or a climate scientist, I'm instantly suspicious because they're so they're so politically motivated to be on one and financially motivated in most cases to be on one side or the other. So to me, that's that's how I determine whether or not I'm likely to instinctually trust a an expert or in a field is whether or not. The field itself is something tied into public policy. The thing is, lots of things can be indirectly tied into public policy. And in the case of an ornithologist, I don't know if you've seen some of those articles where they they want us to eat insects yes. as as part yes. of our diet now. So yes, crickets. If, Was it, it crickets? What are they? I don't. Yeah. Who knows? I'm not. Listen, uh, people. I am not eating insects. Okay, it's okay. not going to happen. Okay, okay. Mark this down. <laughs> and I know was it was it uh, John the Baptist? He ate locusts and honey, right? I, I I am not living that life. You're not. You're no John the Baptist. No, I am no John. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's crazy to me. But, uh, but so obviously you can. Well, I, wait. But, I'm going to back up a little bit, okay. really quick. There's you know there's plenty of people in Africa that eat. Insects. Oh, undou- okay. undoubtedly, yeah. Okay, because that's a lot part of people in the world. Part of their culture, yes. right? Okay, so I can understand that, and I, I'm sure that's the thing there. That's not part of my culture. Yes. Okay. No. And you cannot take somebody at my age and 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 say you're going to change my diet dramatically. Convert you to be a bug eater. Or to, yeah, in the 50s, yeah. To be a bug eater. It's, just, <laughs> it's not going to happen. So if the ornithologist is talking about that topic, oh, I'm suspicious right from the get-go. How, who's involved? How much money is involved? What company is paying you to take that? Which, which companies are going to be selling the bugs? Uh, how much are they, are they doing in lobbying in, in D.C. or in, in state capitals to push the... See, my, my red alert goes off immediately on... Motives. It's all about. It's motives. all about motives. Yeah, and it well, really, it's the whole the, the cliche follow the money kind of thing, right? Yeah. But so yeah, that would be an example. But if he's talking to me about, I don't know the uh, the mating cycle of honeybees or whatever, yeah, I'll probably was like, oh well, that's that's quite fascinating, and and I, I'll believe every word he says because there's no. Isn't that this is very very telling 
on where we are as a society. I can imagine that you and I represent a lot of people out there. Our brains are automatically flagged on on any expert coming to us, or we're preconditioned, in a sense, to be suspicious when information that's coming to us could be tainted based on the motivations of the speaker. And it's almost as if we can't even help ourselves. I can't even help myself because I automatically go into that mode that you just mentioned, where if something in my mind says there's something, some motive that's I don't care for, I just lock up. I, I, I lock up. <laughs> I do. It's yeah. very tough for there's, me to hear something when I know it's possibly tainted. And the thing is, what are the untainted venues now? I, d- I don't know. Right, because the media is seems so terribly biased and tainted. So just showing up on TV as a, an expert in anything, you're like, I, at least I'm less likely to believe them because they're on TV. Because <laughs> I don't trust the motives behind the, the people producing the show necessarily, the company who owns the media company or the people who own the media company, and, and why he's putting himself out there on TV, he wants to be famous. So how do you even be an expert in what venue is it acceptable or is it that these little red lights don't go off in a brain like mine that you have some ulterior motive? I don't know what it is. I mean, it would have been as a young person, it would have been, I don't know, my college classes because it wouldn't have occurred to me. You know, they're just there to teach their subject. But I don't think I mean, the university seems so terribly co-opted now, um, politically and ideologically. Uh, what's the word? Ideologically. Ideologically, thank yes, you. Yes, yes. Uh, that I, I don't, wouldn't feel that way today. I wouldn't, no. Right? No so, so what is the venue? I don't know. I don't, that's a good question. It, it, I don't know. That's part of the problem now, is that there is no way for an expert to to share their knowledge without it being done in a venue or in a medium that already is making you question them. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because there's a couple different theories on that. There is uh, an expression called the marketplace of ideas. Mm -hmm. And in the marketplace of ideas, that says that competition between viewpoints, when there is competition, the truth will prevail. Or in other words, uh, to use a phrase that we know someone likes a lot, the cream will rise to the top. (laughs) And uh, something like this would happen, or it could happen in the public square, right? Okay, so then if you, you have true debate, uh, yes. and, and you and you also you you have to prove the veracity of your claims. So, and that can be done over a period of time if it's deals with policy, right? So, if you think that you should have policy X or pass a certain law, it's going to make I don't know, some part of life or society better. Well, after that's done and we look at it three years later, I should see the metrics have improved or changed. And if they haven't, well, then you were wrong <laughs> in yes. my definition. In which we have a lot of that today. There is a lot of that. But the thing is, I don't know that we ever get to that point anymore. People come up and they argue, well, this is why we have to do this. But I don't see a lot of people going back and saying, well, you said this was going to be a good idea. Well, COVID's probably a good example. Is there a lot of stuff being written or talked about in the general media sphere about were masks effective and if they weren't, what the consequences of that policy was? 
I'm not seeing that talked about on in the mainstream media at all. I, I'm not either, unless unless people are working on books that it just aren't out yet. Well, see, I, I, nobody reads books anymore. So I say nobody. I'm, I, I, I don't. Books. I don't no, mean literally nobody, but it's. But a, they do pull excerpts more. <laughs> well, yeah, it's fully excerpt. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to me that there isn't a lot of true debate about topics anymore. Either you believe what the the people controlling the venue, and by venue, I'm 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 saying that in a very broad sense, the TV show or the college campus, whatever the venue is. Those are so tightly controlled now to prevent any uh, different ways of thought that no debate seems to really be occurring. Well, and that's exactly the problem. There is there is the marketplace of ideas is there's only one thing being sold in the market. Well, and that's (laughs) that that is the issue is that the like especially during COVID the marketplace of ideas you know seventy five percent of the marketplace was shut down, Mm -hmm. and so you don't actually have a marketplace. When when they're when half the market's closed, so it would be good to be able to have the marketplace of ideas. And and if your idea if your idea doesn't stand uh, questioning and doesn't stand um, you know the test of time, then it doesn't rise to the top. But there's a lot of people that have issues with that. They think that you shouldn't because in the pursuit of what the best idea is, there's a lot of bad ideas that get circulated, and then people that don't do research on that then can gravitate towards those bad ideas. I mean, for instance, I'll just bring this up. That woman during COVID who gave her husband, I think she did too. She took the hydrochloroquine mm-hmm. from the, like the fish tank or something. I can't remember that story. And then her husband died. Oh, I, I'm not familiar with that story. Yeah. The husband died and then she almost died. Was it like too concentrated or was it a different it was, form? It was a different something? form. It was the fish clean. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to do with the fish tank. And it it, it was like, you're so okay. stupid. Well, However. So, so there's an interesting aspect to that, though, yeah. to me. Uh, yes, obviously it was dumb and stupid yeah. and, and potentially deadly. Why did she think that was a good idea to begin with? I would speculate it's because she instinctively knew that people were lying about it. Meaning lying okay. like like when everybody's saying, oh, hydroxychloroquine is a horrible, dangerous drug. Meanwhile, there's enough information going around. It's like, oh, no, this this looks like it might actually be effective or useful. And so if you're in a panic and you think that COVID's going to kill everybody and they're saying that isn't good but you kind of don't believe what they're saying therefore you're thinking it is good well how can i get it oh just so happens that my fish tank has what my appears to be the same i'm like looking on the back of the box that kind of right. looks the same so i mean i'm <laughs> saying she's not the brightest bulb in the, in the box but you can see why people would start going down that path because they fundamentally don't trust what they're being told. So so in, in this case, what you're describing is that it was the suppression of information. Correct. That 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 pushed her in that direction. Yes. Because she couldn't get the correct information. She couldn't get it. She knew something was going something on. Something was going on. Right. And so she just sort of And so then they go down that path of self help because they've already given up on because they don't trust the expert right at that yeah. point. Yeah. So so they're going down the path of self help. And I mean 
lots of, there are people that are more prone to that than others just by their nature. But the COVID thing is, I mean, seriously, the, the ivermectin thing, I, I get the distinct impression when this is all said and done, people are going to be beside themselves over how ivermectin was painted out to be this horribly ineffective slash poisonous substance for people. And in fact, maybe if it wasn't the cure, it might've been the cure for the pandemic. To me, from my perspective, it felt like the reason why ivermectin was killed was because Trump said it was a good idea or implied that it was, or people on the right did. And because those people said it was good, the opposite side says, well, you're, you're an idiot. You're an anti-intellectual. Anti-intellectual <laughs> anti th Therefore, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. That's horse paste. You know, that whole, you know, we've yeah. talked about we've this talked before. We've talked about that. I know. But, but you can see why, how this all happens. Meanwhile, the average bystander watching this is like, these people, I don't trust any of these people. Yeah. And then they turn to self-help. And then they turn to self-help. And or, then you've had impression or information suppressed. So they can't actually even. And then you might, they might do their own research and go down and not be discerning enough to determine the paths of research they're going down if they're they're true or accurate or safe. It's, you can see how that would happen in an, in a world where we don't trust what we're being told anymore. Yeah, especially when it's on issues that are. Ugh, well, I no, I hate to be contrarian. Like, I, what do we trust at all anymore? This whole thing with the balloons, right? So we're recording this, <laughs> I guess, the week after all of the balloons. It's the day after Super Bowl for context. Okay, yeah, today, yeah, yeah, today's yeah. the day after the Super Bowl. So, which, by the way, that holding call, I'm just saying. Okay. People who watch it know what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, but so we've had how many balloons now or or high altitude? We don't actually really know how many <laughs> balloons because it seems like then there's like balloons in South America and like. Well, and, and so so. They let this balloon get to Montana before the first balloon that we, quote, know of. Yeah. Before the farmers in Montana say, hey, you know, there's something going on up there. Meanwhile, did the Department of Defense, did NORAD not know about it? And they were completely ignorant. And so we have rank incompetence. Or did they know and not want to say anything? Or did they know and say something, but then politicians decided, well, you know, it's the Chinese and they're our friends. I mean, there's so many questions. So, so you, you can't believe anything anybody is saying. Well, and then is it a balloon or is it like not a balloon? Like, <laughs> and, and then also one that I have not heard talked about, but the crazy one to me was that when Biden, for, when they, when the Pentagon first said they told Biden about the original Chinese balloon, the first, mm, the first, the one, first one, yeah. which is funny that it's the Chinese balloon. Why? Because it was never the Chinese coronavirus. Oh, right. We weren't allowed to say, oh, what were the, the Wu flu? And yeah, the, it's the, just funny the, that it's, yeah, it's right. but, it, but for some reason, we would so be, well, you know, give, for them, now, give them another few days yeah. and pretty soon we won't be able to say it was a Chinese balloon. Yeah. Okay. But for now, we're calling it the, yeah, by the time this airs, probably won't be the Chinese <laughs> right. balloon anymore. But right now it's okay to say the Chinese balloon. So the Chinese balloon. It is coming, you know, coming along and the Pentagon sees it and they tell Biden and Biden's like, I want to shoot that thing down, which I was like, that's the first good thing he said he wants to do. Except that the Pentagon says, no, Joe, we're not shooting it down. And he's like, OK. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know that that's how it actually went down. But anyway, even but it doesn't really matter how it really went down. The fact that he relayed that story. 
That's shows a- him to be the weakest man. Like he like tells the Pentagon, like <laughs> shoot the thing down, and they're like, no. <laughs> No, yeah, sorry, Mr. President. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. It's like, then, like, why would you even tell that story? It makes you look so weak. Like your <laughs> your people won't do. I, mean, what you I ask. don't care if you are on the left or on the right, but you cannot look at that man and feel comfortable knowing he's in charge. Yeah, no. Well, clearly the Pentagon doesn't care because they're like, Mm-mm. right? They don't. They don't trust him to make any valid decision. They no. just straight up ignore him. Yeah, and then he tells everyone that they ignore him. So, so weird. Yeah. So, but anyway, in this particular case, the experts, right? Absolutely. Are Department of Defense, essentially, or defense oriented kind of industries, maybe um, aerospace. But we don't, I mean, you want to talk about a group of people that I'm uh, disinclined to trust. (laughs) That's the Department of Defense. So I automatically can't trust anything. And then they're caught saying things like, what was the allegation that, oh, well, we had balloons during the Trump era. And then all the Trump people. Rubio was like, no. No, no, that's not true. And then they're saying, oh, well, we did, but we only found out afterwards when we went back and looked at the data and realized that there were. Pro- I mean, gosh, the, the conflicts of interest, the political motivations, everything is just coalescing into a, a morass of crap. And you can't believe a word any of them is saying. Meanwhile, what we do know is that a straight up foreign adversaries uh aircraft or whatever you want to call it balloon flew over the entire width breadth and width of the north american continent before they decided to shoot it down and it well, ga- and who knows what information it was. all that midwest I mean, area it's all our strategic right? missile sites everything. Yeah, everything and by the way it wasn't just i mean canada participated in this too yeah. right so they also allowed this to happen they could have been like oh well you're not, no you're not going over canadian airspace but no apparently you can and then we find out now as a few days have gone by now they're starting to shoot them off you know shoot them down in alaska now so they're saying well you now you're in alaska well before they didn't shoot down the first balloon they said why because debris they were afraid of debris now, listen people alaska is a wilderness that nobody lives at except out of what two or three cities i in order to shoot something down in Alaskan airspace and hit a human being, that's winning the lottery, okay? <laughs> that's winning the super mega lotto. The chances were basically zero. And so this argument that that is why they're doing it, you just know on its face it's a lie. It's just a straight-up lie, okay? And yet they – so they let that th- – and now, well, if that was the argument then, then why why are you shooting them down now? Well, it's – what is it? It's on the – one of them's now on the ice, that was shot up by the Yukon and yeah. Cause it, well, that's all like yeah. Northern, yeah, Northern no, hemisphere. Yeah. So permafrost kind of areas, except, stuff. well, except that that one, they're not saying as, I mean, as of right now. And as again, when this comes out, maybe there's going to be a lot more information. So we're just, we're don't speak, count on it. <laughs> who knows? But yeah. right now they're saying that it's not even a balloon. Oh, it's not. Oh, you mean the one that's up? The, yeah. the third or fourth one they've shot yes. down. Okay. It's like not a balloon. It was actually, there is a debris field that okay. actually was not. Well, a, but a balloon but I don't know. carries, you know, like remember the Zeppelins, right? You still yeah. had the, you had the, the container where the people or slash cargo yeah. would be in. That's a solid thing. And I, it looks to me like the original balloon had at minimally, it had um, solar panels. It looked like that were attached to it, but <laughs> Anyway, the point here is that here are experts 
our Department of Defense officials by and large, and we can't trust any of them. It reminds me so much, this entire balloon fiasco reminds me exactly of the early days of the pandemic. Everybody's scrambling, mm-hmm. changing information. <laughs> they don't know what they're saying. They're, they're, it's, it's, and, then, and then backtracking on why they made decisions that were poor in the beginning. And then, and, and, you know. Well, that's a lot. Of, yeah, you wonder, let's see, the most generous way of looking at this probably is that you have rank incompetence that they're trying to essentially cover up. Absolutely. Letting, letting a foreign adversary's uh, aircraft fly over your entire nation gathering, you know, gathering spy information um, and then realizing, oh, oops, maybe that wasn't a good idea. I mean, the first screw up well, was once like, everyone saw it, they're like, wait, wait, you're allowing the balloon. And, and then they didn't shoot it down because then at that point, their question would have been, well, why didn't you shoot it down before it got to Montana? And so they came up with the story. Well, oh, well, that's because we're gathering information about it, gathering information about us. And then in the meantime, we've blocked their information. Right. <laughs> all right. Really? Mm-hmm. I, right, no. We're supposed to believe all that crap. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. I just don't believe them. <laughs> but but that's the problem. It's because when it's constantly changing mm-hmm. and then there's different people saying different things, it, it's like the Hunter Biden when that when the um laptop was made known. Oh yeah, and we had we had what was it, seventy five intelligence experts. Cool. Experts were back back yep. to that word. They all and they signed that what was it, a letter or something and said this is definitely Russian disinformation or, or Russian operation to disparage Biden or and of course <laughs> we knew then that the, the CIA everybody knew then it was legit. They just straight up lied. They used the the moniker of expert as a way of trying to to convince the the wider population of something that was basically false. And that's why we don't trust experts. Yeah, and, I mean, as an example, experts have destroyed their own status. I agree with that. If I'm a doctor right now, if I'm a practicing physician who really cares about my profession cares about medicine cares about the science of medicine i've got to i've got to just feel I, I don't know if you could feel any lower the reputation of that profession has taken hit i don't know if they'll ever recover from i really don't these these so many of these doctors and physicians abdicated everything about the hippocratic oath and what they actually knew to be true about the practice of medicine in order to placate the government, the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. However, like in the state of California, you can end up in a situation where if you give information out to your patient that's contradictory to the state of California, then you could lose your license or you could be suspended. That only happened recently. It did, but I think that there was fear of that from the beginning. Then you, listen, if if that's going to, allow you to to fail in the proper ethical practice of medicine, then you're in the wrong business. You you have to stand up for this stuff. You cannot allow your profession to be turned they're basically being they're prostitutes now. That's all they are. And that's maybe a bit harsh, but that's kind of that's, that's kind you, of you we could pick out some that are. Yeah, that's and that's, I'm gonna say the majority are not. The majority but, is not, but the profession they're getting that's the reputation they're getting. Yeah. Well, with the general public. Yeah, because when doctors came out and they were saying, we're not actually going to treat patients where I'm an expert and I'm not going to treat a patient that hasn't been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. 
for whatever, it doesn't matter, to get a colonoscopy. Right. Then you well, lose In some your- cases, even life-saving surgeries, yeah. they were being refused. Oh yeah, they were saying we, you can't come in. You're not vaccinated because you're not vaccinated, Which, or or think, a okay, an but, organ transplant. And think of how insane this is. Everybody knew, or anybody who, God, you should have known if you're in the industry that the vaccine did not prevent transmission. They the the uh, vaccine companies never made that claim. Okay, they never made that claim that it prevented transmission. So if it doesn't prevent transmission, how in the world does it ever make any sense to prevent giving care to somebody in a public hospital because they don't have that vaccine? That literally makes no sense. It never made sense. It, and, it's unbelievable. And so you're, you're, you are denying people, uh, healthcare or in some cases life saving care for a lie. And you know it's a lie or you should know it's a lie. Either way. They're, to me, they're just as bad because it's your business. It's your industry. You should know that that vaccine has nothing to do with transmission. You're an expert. Because you're an expert. <laughs> because right? you're an expert. You should know that. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, inc- and this is why their reputation is so terribly tar. And, it, and it's, it's difficult for me to conceive how this is going to get repaired because the doctors by and large now are beholden to hospitals and the hospitals are large conglomerates. So, I don't, there's no, unless the doctors reassert their independence from hospitals, from bureaucracies, and from uh, the politics at large, and say, no, we're the doctors, we know what we're doing. Um, I don't, I don't know how they recover their reputation. Well, I think you also have uh, certification standards as well, because you could be an independent, do- I mean, there are doctors out there that are, you know, they are beholden hospitals, but they're, uh, you know, they don't take insurance. They're more of the concierge service. Right. And so they're not having to worry so much about the insurance codes. And however, if a if someone reports them and the certification board doesn't like what they've done, then they could be, you know, fined. Lose their license. Lose their license. Temporarily or permanently. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a problem. So it's. In some cases, setting experts up to fail a little bit because they well, once the the boards are co opted, yeah, I, I I guess all bets are off. Yeah, right. Like if you if you cannot, as a physician, as a doctor, trust your own professional boards to actually make decisions based on on the medical knowledge, expertise, and culture and history of your profession, if they are now co opted politically to make decisions based on politics or uh, corruption, then yeah, you're screwed. I don't know. What do you do about that? Because they're the final arbiter of whether or not you're, you're licensed to practice. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's starting even sooner than that. It's starting in medical school. Oh, well, yeah. Now, and, now, and the now full it on. is. And so, yeah, I think in 20 years, because you've been conditioned in medical school by the time okay. you're, you're not so, going to. I have a question for our listeners. Oh, yes. What is the question? <laughs> if there's any listener who has a son, daughter, or whatever, relative in medical school right now, ask them if the COVID vaccine prevents transmission. I would be really curious to hear if there are any of them that answer that yes. If you have medical students who believe that that prevents transmission, we're in deep deep trouble because 
that's that should be known by them. And if it's not known by them, I don't, I mean, they're believing a lie. And that's, a, that's I mean, it's a big one in the sense that it affected uh, public policy so dramatically, but it's a relatively minor factoid. <laughs> what else are they teaching them about medicine? Oh, there's a lot. Of, are mean, they teaching them that? Oh, I, uh, know, I know what they're teaching them. Oh, okay. Uh, well, wait a minute. Before you say, I want to see if I would yeah, say yeah, yeah. Uh, are they teaching them that uh, they need gender affirming surgery in order to prevent them from committing suicide? Is that what they're teaching them? I was just going to mention something like that. Okay. Whether they're teaching them how to ask a person who looks like a man if they're actually a woman. You know, when you go into emergency <laughs> care, okay. when you go into emergency care, they're now having to actually ask the person. What if they're unconscious? Do you, I don't know, lift their skirts? I, I mean, well, that's what we used to do, right? Yeah. Like if there was any question, usually it's very obvious. Yeah. But if there was a question, yeah, just, okay, just, I mean, that's what we do with dogs. Like, you don't, you don't know if the dog is a male or female because they're secondary, uh, they don't really have secondary sex uh, characteristics like humans have, at least not to the human eye. So you, okay, look, okay, well, yeah, is that a yeah. boy or girl? Well, that's what but we- But now you have to ask them. So they, you could actually think- Yeah, because it, it doesn't matter what, what is underneath the skirt or underneath the, because it's all it's all a state of mind. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that, so- Okay, medical okay. Medical school. Okay, all right, sorry. I thought, no, oh, yeah. I, no I, I was just going to say in medical school now that that is, that is part of- So here, let me, let me explain why this is, that is- an extremely dangerous uh, approach. Men and women are different. And the way um, they get treated both with drugs and uh, in some cases surgery can be so different that if we now pretend that a man is a woman and you actually treat them medically as the wrong biological sex, you could be doing straight up harm to that individual. So if you're teaching medical students now that, well, oh, well, he says he's a woman and therefore I'm going to go to the, you know, um, the uh, drug prescribing thing and I'm going to use the data that's marked down for women as to how much to give or what drugs to give or whatever. You're, you are committing harm. Well, what do you do in that case? Because well, this so, is why it's so it, ridiculous. Because you have to essentially, you have to uh, nod your head in agreement with the insane policy, knowing that you're going to ignore this insane policy when you actually practice, or you buy into it and you commit harm. But no one can win there because if the person comes in and says, "No, you don't treat me as a woman because I I think I'm a woman. I am a woman." <laughs> it's not. I, I turned into a woman or I, it's, I am a woman. So if you say I am a woman, then that precludes that you ever weren't, that, that's saying you weren't ever not a woman or you were never, you know, that you didn't have a past that was different than where you are now. And so then if, if you're asking them what kind of medication then they're going to get, then they would have to get the medication that's okay for a female to receive. I don't know. We're, we're off topic. Uh, yeah. So. Well, but only a little bit because this is how the experts are being co-opted in large part by themselves. Yeah. They're destroying their own level of expertise with this kind of insanity. And, you know, we are spending a lot of time on doctors. So I did want to 
Well, okay. Just, All just right. to Fair enough. level the, just to, you know, say that there are other. There are other expertises. <laughs> there are other expertises that come under, can, can come, come under fire. Which is fair, but I just want to say that was the one, there was no other profession that was probably held in as high regard as True. the medical profession historically and culturally in the United States up until the somewhat recent, and it started probably before COVID, but I mean, the COVID thing just pushed it over the edge. And I, to me, that's just incredibly sad. It's a hard fall. It's a, it's a, it's a big, hard fall. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that that's why, well, as I said in the very beginning of the podcast, it's why we are talking a lot about COVID here and a lot about doctors in general, <laughs> just because the recent uh, information, it's just, it's so clear. It's just the recent history shows that there was a problem. Right. However, so I did want to mention some other situations. I mean, like we can look back uh, even right now. We've got Jerome Powell, head of the Fed. We can say, do we trust him? What he's doing with interest rates is is he making the right decisions? Are we happy with how the economy is working right now under Biden? You know, there's a lot of experts making decisions about our economy. Congress gives away billions and billions of dollars. They they it wasn't the right decision. Caused inflation. And well, they would. The, some they of the wouldn't experts say that. would disagree. With some experts wouldn't disagree with that. You well, can't flood the yeah when market it comes with to money to, with free money. When it comes to the financial system, there's ex, experts on both sides that will argue whatever's convenient for whichever politician they're essentially sided with. But they're never going to go back and say, "Gosh, that was a." They no, they, dis- you, they discredit themselves yeah, by making a bad decision. You almost never hear, and this is actually an interesting point. A true scientist or a, a, a an expert most interested in the truth of uh, what their profession professes would actually do that. Exactly. And and in medicine, this this used to happen. They would say, "Well, we used to believe." <laughs> that this was a good idea. I don't know. Bloodletting <laughs> was, was a good idea yeah. because, you know, all doctors thought that that was a, a, a valuable therapeutic, I guess, whatever you want to call it. But they would freely admit that that wasn't, that, that there was no, that that was not scientifically sound. I don't know that these people are ever going to admit anything like that now. They're so vested. It's almost like the more obvious, uh, the, the more obvious it becomes that they were wrong, the more they're going to dig in their heels and deny it. And that, that's what you feel like. Yes. And that is the problem. That's why the trust is gone. Because yeah. even if we, I believe in society, we do allow for mistakes on the part of our Absolutely. people who govern us. Except it can only be in situations where the person who's made the mistake has to come out and, and with transparency and say, that wasn't right. Uh, and this is why we did it. And new information has come out now, and we're going to change course. We're turning our ship around. We're going to do it this well, way now. Well, I, I give them even more latitude than that. If they're if they're if you feel like they're being honest with you, you can say, "Listen, there were a lot of different options here, and we just chose we just we just didn't know for sure which way to go, and we felt that this was the way to go, and it turns out we were wrong about that. It was probably better to do X. You know, just." <laughs> Because sometimes you don't know. It's not, especially when you're talking about something like the financial system, it's not always obvious. Yes, it's people like you and I would argue that 
I don't know, injecting a trillion dollars into the economy that's already got inflationary pressure is going to push it over the inflation cliff. That seems kind of obvious, but that is an admittedly simplistic way of looking at it. And there could be. There's always other factors. Other factors. On the other hand, um, if you're going to, to argue against that, I think you have to be able to actually argue your point logically say why why is that wrong why is why is what we're saying just not true and now that it appears that we were right that that actually did cause this historic levels of inflation uh how come you're not doing a mea culpa and saying well you know it turns out you guys were probably right and remember when it was all going to be what did that what was the term they used transitory inflation yeah transient inflation and and you and i are looking at each other like what's transient what is transient like for the next 10 years is that yeah well no it's using vague language to describe something that too so that you can you can get by but they were making it when they said transient they're making this would be a few weeks maybe a few months tops that was what does inflation mean that's supposed to last two weeks what is that that's not even a thing (laughs) (laughs) there's no such thing as that you know It's like you're going to raise the price. And like, I mean, I guess gas could be, you know, sort of as up and down. But it's interesting, though, you could go almost through every aspect of of our life today that uh, where decisions have been made by so-called experts that were just obviously wrong. Oh, yeah. I I mean, I named a few. I mean, we've got Ben Bernanke during 2008. He didn't. Uh, Before the crash. Before the crash. You know, they didn't really get clued into all these uh, mortgages and uh, what was going on there. And uh, just look in California, forest management <laughs> is terrible. We've got the forests burning every, because they won't do controlled management with, you know, with fire. They won't clean up the forest. And so we've got these massive fires burning. And, you know, we've got people pushing into the outer edges of, you know, uh, land open land and making their houses more you know susceptible to fire and then we end up paying you know everyone pays for that through taxes it's just it's a mess the management of the forests are a mess we've got energy but everyone that's in control of these are experts and then when things go wrong all with their own motivations absolutely outside of i'm just here as an expert when you told me about this topic uh one of the things i thought of was um Experts in court cases. Oh, yeah. Right? That's a good one. Because I don't know. I mean, most, maybe, I'm going to say most of our adult listeners have at least have some concept of what happens in in court cases. But typically you'll have, for certain kinds of cases, you'll have expert opinion come in. So you'll have a a guy who comes in and um, the court has to vet him as a so-called expert by virtue of his credentials or background or history then everybody agrees that he is an expert and then he testifies as an expert. Well, that expert is being paid. Okay. And he's being paid by one of the two sides and the jury has to understand that. And so, yes, he is an expert in that field, but you also have to always, you know, be like, okay, yes, but he's being paid by the defense or he's being paid by the plaintiffs they're not going to pay him if he's not going to say what they want him to say. They just right? wouldn't have him come in. So that expert testimony of the court case is exactly what's happening in government today. 
It's the same thing. They're all being paid for in some way or another, directly or indirectly. I don't think any expert in the media that you see or hear about is not in some way, shape or form being compensated by one of the sides that he's advocating for. And that's what makes it so difficult. To and that's why sift. we don't. Yeah. And that's why we don't believe him anymore. Yeah. And it comes. I, I want to I think we can end pretty soon, but I want to come back to the original concept or discussion of anti-intellectualism <laughs> and why this type of why this train of thought is so difficult or so damaging to society, because what it's saying is that if you question an expert who has not set himself up as someone who's trustworthy, but if you still question him, then you are somehow all these other things. Mm. You are you you don't want you are interested in learning. You're not interested in science. You're if you're an anti it's the same idea that says if you want to slow down the vaccine schedule for your children or you want to leave out maybe one of them because, you know, like uh, hepatitis B or you want to maybe delay that one a little bit because somehow you're then you're an anti-vaxxer. Right. And and then so if you question an exer, expert, you're anti-intellectual. It, it, it's it's using these phrases to blanket over these people. Yeah, and it actually reminds me kind of a little bit about your your when I said is there a historical analog? You said well the church, it is kind of like that because what they're what they're saying is well you're a non-believer. Yeah, it's kind of like that, right? It's a, today's religion in the West seems to be things like science, eco-science, climate science. These, these, these are becoming in certain senses, de facto religions. And so when they accuse you of being a science denier or an anti-vaxxer, it has the same, a similar kind of cultural impact as it would have been for people to say you were a non-believer or excommunicating you from the church. And, that's and all. Ab- yes, so absolutely. That's, that's kind of what's happening here. And so we don't call it excommunication, but if you go on Twitter and you didn't agree with uh, Anthony Fauci and you got labeled as a purveyor of disinformation and your account is suspended, it's, that is basically what they did to you they excommunicated you from the public square yeah and then where and then you left left to fend for yourself and yeah, yeah. And there's no the, once that happens there's little recourse available to you i mean if you're famous enough i suppose there is but if you're not i mean if you if you were if that happened to you or i what, what there's nothing we could do well i guess maybe you are i wouldn't care but <laughs> Well, that no. there's some truth to that for sure. <laughs> no, in certain cases we would care. You you because it depends on the level of, you know, ostracization or you might just be Well, and you know, it in Well, this tends to cascade too, right? Yeah. So if you if you get if you get banned from Twitter, then what did some of the other tech companies? Now you're on their lists as well. Maybe they haven't banned you yet, but they're certainly on a list. Oh, that account was banned. And so they're more likely to ban you. And in some cases, I'd be willing to bet, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if there were automatic bans slash suspensions that if one of the companies did it, the other companies would essentially follow suit. It does seem like it's a, it is like a domino yeah. effect when that happens. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all yeah. if, if that occurred or is still occurring. Yeah. And just to be clear, we don't have any. No, I don't have any evidence, yeah. but it, it just, it would fit what it, what, 
our experience, what we feel like we see happening. So yes, when it comes to experts, I do, sadly, I, I feel like we can't trust them anymore. And it's hard. It's, it's getting harder and harder to find the experts that you do trust, that you do feel like you don't have to question their motives or their associations or backgrounds or conflicts of interest. You know, I was thinking about that a lot and trying to come up with people that I, I feel I'm not going to name any names, but why certain people make me feel why, why I trust them more. And some of the people that I feel like I trust in the public sphere, especially as follow, as far as like health goes, are people not necessarily where I even agree with everything they say, but I feel like I hear transparency in their voice or if they say something that I don't agree with. I can see where they're coming from, and this is why they say it. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I need to maybe research that, or I don't agree with that, where I do agree with what, okay, I, I like what he says here. Something about the person comes comes across as very trustworthy to me when there's transparency and where I can just get a sense for their motivations. Because they're, they're, they are out there. They're, it's, there's not a lot of them, but it's not that I distrust everyone. And it's not that I only trust people that I agree with also. I, there's a lot of people that I trust that I don't necessarily agree with. I trust them that what they're saying is, I don't think you need to agree with someone to feel, to trust what they're saying because. Yeah, I agree with that. Because they don't, you don't, we don't have to agree with everybody, but we can know that they're coming from, they've done all their research. I would actually, I maybe put a little different. I'm willing to defer to an expert that I trust. So if, if I think a certain thing, I don't know about a topic or whatever, and then there's an expert I trust that says, well, no, actually, this is the thing. If I trust the expert, I'll defer to his his background, knowledge, and experience. I'll be like, okay, well, maybe you're right, yeah. But sometimes an expert, that that same person, you might agree with them on like 60% of the things. And there's, you don't, you're not agree, you don't agree with them on everything. Well, in their field of expertise is what, that's what I'm saying. If they're, if they seem trustworthy and they don't have obvious conflicts of interests or other motivations then I'm, I'm going to defer to their expertise because they know more about that probably than I do. True. The, the issue is that we're not trusting them anymore. And the conflicts of interest are so pervasive, so powerful, and in many cases, extremely obvious. And so you don't trust anything they're saying. Yeah, it's, it's very hard when we, can, when we need things from the public sphere and we can't. We can't find anyone to turn to. Yeah. Uh, because not everyone has a- an access to a doctor right away or a doctor that will take the time with them. And so you have no other way to get information sometimes except by crowdsourcing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but you can't, I, one thing I read in one of the articles was you don't want to crowdsource uh, if you've got cancer. You need to go to a good doctor. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the, the thing with the cancer is it's not at all clear to me that they know exactly what the best treatments are. I mean, yes. Yeah, depending on the cancer, it just for depends, sure. Yeah. And the, the treatments do sometimes seem to be worse than the disease itself in some cases. And I think there's a lot of circumstances where people were killed by the treatment rather than the cancer. So is that a net gain? I don't know. Yeah. But, um, the point is that, yeah, if you end up in that situation, you, you got to find somebody that you trust because there's a lot. I mean, they can, I mean, cancer medicate, cancer treatments are 
inherently extremely damaging and dangerous to the body because it's essentially trying to kill cells in the human body. So, yeah, you better trust your your treatment team. Yes. Uh, to know what they're doing, or you're you're doing more harm than good, essentially. Yeah. Well, I after okay. this, I mean, I'm just gonna. I feel like I'm gonna wrap this up, but I just want to summarize by saying that going forward, I'm really going to be thoughtful about who I place my trust in and and why. I, I always have been, but even going forward after reading this and really paying attention to language, uh, the anti-intellectualism language, because there were about four articles I read in 2020 that were written in 2020, and they all use this language. And if you're not really clued in on that language, you could fall under that spell of like, oh my gosh, all these people, <laughs> these science deniers, deniers, they are- They're non-believers. They're non-believers. <laughs> yeah, they're so, you know, and you really can, right. I think it's an easy pit to fall in. And you have to actually uh, think about why people are- Well, yeah. And I I think the indoctrination of, of our kids in, in schools now yeah. helps, helps with that. Um, those giving the power to those labels uh, that's part of it you can imagine kids being in in their classes now and some i don't know kid disagrees with some i don't know gender ideology and uh then he gets labeled as a as a denier and he's labeled worse than that but well yes yeah. minimally yeah and and so that that whole culture as these kids come out of school and they going to the workforce, you can see how, how powerful that, that will continue to be. I, I don't, I don't see a, a light at the end of this tunnel right now. I I'm, don't not, I'm not saying it's either. not going to happen, but yeah, prognosis is grim at the moment. There is a giant divide between the, I, me, speaking for myself. Yeah. I just, any expert on TV, I just de facto, my gut instinct is not to trust them. Yeah, I, I, I'm that way also. I start with zero trust, and then I build up from there. Which is a shame because it, it should be the other way. Yeah, around. once upon a time it would it would have been the other way. You, yeah, you start with the high level, and then it gets eroded. Yeah, unless something. Yeah. yeah, unless something comes out. That's. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so for anybody who's in any of any profession that you know falls into the expert class, I I just implore you to. Stand tall and fight back against what is happening to your professions because this can't continue. This this is this is going to end very badly for you personally and for the culture at large. We we cannot go into a, a space where the experts are essentially no longer experts because they're completely co-opted by corruption or uh, politics or incompetence. Like you cannot let that happen in your field. Please. Please. Fight. Fight. Back. Yes. Okay. Be brave. Actually, that is a good way to end it. Be brave. Stand for the reasons you got into the profession. The in first the first place. place. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. Okay. I want to. On that happy note. On that happy note. No, I I have something All right. that I want to talk to you about. Okay. This is going to be our last segment. And it's the rise of tipping. In restaurants, have you encountered any of the tipping situations going on right now? No. What? what oh, what tipping? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you go get coffee anywhere and they flip the thing around you? And I refuse they... to go pay for oh. coffee. 
<laughs> okay. Anywhere. Oh, oh, no, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, if you go to a restaurant or like a takeout or whatever, yes. and they flip the screen around, and then there's the tip, the automatic. And, first of all, everyone can see the screen behind you in line. Okay. 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 And then they, I know where you're going there. And they flip it around, <laughs> and they're like 30%, you know, 15, 20, or whatever, custom. And then you've got to put it in there. And then, like, the screen's so big that everyone can see that if you're like a, you know, a loser and you don't give them any tip. Right. But there's a lot of um, there's a lot of articles being written on this right now. Because what happened during the pandemic is that we everyone had a lot of empathy with uh, especially with service workers. Mm-hmm. Their jobs might be in jeopardy. Uh, and also we were doing so much takeout. We we ended up because takeout was not traditionally tipped the way and it shouldn't be. It's not tipped in the way that you're being you're tipping when you're sitting at a table because you're getting service. They're taking your order. They're coming back. They're drinking, bringing you waters. So, you know everything that happens in a restaurant. Takeout doesn't have any of that. So all those waiters and waitresses, serve all those people serving the servers, were not getting their tips because they're just putting together to go orders. So in order to compensate for that, a lot of tipping. You know, people's up to their tips. I think what I read, tipping went up 25% during the pandemic because of uh, empathy and also changes of situation, changes of circumstances for servers. So the amount that people tipped. Yes. So if you, if you were a 20% tipper, you became a 25%. It's amount, but it's also frequency. What, what constituted as, or where tipping was traditionally, where you would tip traditionally went up. Okay. But then more places were wanting tips. And I'm going to give you an example. I uh, just paid for a um, photographer. We did some professional photography photos. And we never do professional photos. So these were nicer photos. And I paid online for these photos. I did, got my invoice. I paid. But before I hit send, a tipping option came up. For photographer? For one, it was a photographer. This was not like a business where the business got the money and then you would like tip the photographer. This was the photographer was. It was yeah, that's usually the case. He is the business. Yeah. And um, and so his thing asked for a tip? Asked for a tip. It was so awkward. I, I didn't tip because I'm like, I just paid. I wonder if that's an intention. Maybe that was an accident. I don't know. You know, because some of those uh, way those sites are set up, it might it might be automatic thing. Although you would think you would know. I it was very strange and awkward, and thank goodness there was not a line of people behind me watching me hit no, because just <laughs> hitting no, when you inst- you know, you know inside, like, I'm not going to tip. I just paid good money for a photographer, and I paid for the service. I'm not going to tip on top of what the, what that was. But that was one example of having that. I, another example was I just, I had a service a couple of weeks ago, uh, some a skincare service by a nurse. And I went to go pay and I paid and there was a tip on there. And I thought, okay, well, I get, I get facials at this place also. But and you I tip nurses now? No, no. Let me, let me oh. tell the whole story here. I get facial at this place and I always tip the facial provider, the, the gal who provides the facial, which is customary. You always tip on that. Didn't I never know that. Yeah. You always tip. You tip your hairdresser. You tip the, uh, when you get a facial, usually, you know, 15 to 20%. I mean, is a facial a cosmetic thing or a surgical thing? cosmetic they just wash your like deep face wash okay so it's like getting a haircut but yeah it's for because, girls it's an additional thing yeah do. so but like with a facial it's like you you're paying the company the company pays a portion of that to the facialist so the tip right. goes directly okay to the i facials. understand okay i mean so i like i, a, I tip like i tip the girl who cuts my hair so exactly I, okay. the same thing so anyway at the same location 
I had something done by the nurse and I went to go pay and I I stuck the tip on there because it asked me. And again, there was a feeling inside going. Okay, hold on. You went where to with the nurse? Where is this? It's a facial place. But they have a nurse? Yes. I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm confused. Like, I don't think of people who do facials as being nurses. Most, a lot of places do because I was getting like a, a, a laser. Okay. okay. You're talking about it. you actually had a procedure. Done. Yes. Okay. And I didn't. Oh, I didn't okay. want to release much information. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't know how to get us back on track with that. Um, I think you should just own it. I should just own it. <laughs> yeah, okay. any girl, like lots of women, you know. They, no, I just don't want to sound like I'm spending all this money. I just said I spent money on the photographer and like money on this. Like I was, it's like getting all this stuff done. And I'm so wealthy because that's not the case. I wasn't getting that vibe, but yeah, I don't know. People could get that. <laughs> okay, I will just own it then. Okay. <laughs> So I was with the nurse and the nurse uh, performed a um, appeal on my face. So that's okay. why I was with the nurse. And so anyway, I went to go pay afterward and the I paid, I added a tip on there and the lady came over right afterwards. She said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Our system is not, we just got a new system and it's, we traditionally, you don't tip a provider. Right. Okay. And I thanked her. I said, you know, thank you so much for letting me know that I didn't know what the protocol was there. And she said, I'm really sorry. I'm going to take that off of there because this is a professional Good nurse. For yeah. Good for her. I said, okay, because I always tip the facialist, but I didn't I didn't know what I was supposed to do there. And it came up and it asked me. And I, I, again, there's a lot of guilt associated. I didn't know what to do. So I stuck the tip. She said, oh, no, no. We, we never put the tip on for the nurse provider. <laughs> okay, well, we'll take that off. How, so it, it brings, a, brings in a question like, when do you tip? The feelings about tipping, people watching you not tip. Like, what are our obligations? So I have had this experience and, and I know the guilt thing because um, the, the, there's a place uh, near where we live where th- we do takeout. And um, I never, historically to me, I mean, I don't tip takeout. I mean, I'm just going to pick up my food. Okay. So I'm not going to tip the cashier who's ringing up my order and then giving me my food. I mean, that makes no sense to me. I never, never did that in the past. However, when they got to a, a new point of sale system, new POS system, they would do the screen flip thing. And then all of a sudden it would ask for a tip. And then I would, you know, I always hit no, <laughs> but I always have like this feeling, this, you know, 18 year old girl, you know, who's standing waiting for me to click the button is wondering, am I going to give her a tip? And I'm like, this is a pressure I don't like. I don't like this pressure. This didn't exist before. Stop asking me that damn question. Well, <laughs> your feeling and my feeling, that's how a lot of people feel. I think a lot feel. of people feel that way. Yeah. They're confused. They don't know what to do. They're doing stuff out of guilt. The 18 year old behind the counter wants the money because, right. you know, what? 18-year-old doesn't want the money. They have no context for realizing that this isn't normal because they're sort of new to the market, you know, the job place. So they, it's, so back in the day when I, uh, because I did a lot of takeout, I had, I owned a sandwich shop at one point. And so we had the tip jar there. I worked at many sort of deli counters and you always had a tip jar there and you hoped you'd get, you know, five or $6 sandwich. You'd hope maybe someone might stick a buck in there. It was a big deal. I would never do that. Well, and by the way, I am not a cheap tip. I'm like, I go to a restaurant. I'm, you know, I'm a decent tipper. I've for sure. And I know this because I've been told by servers in the past that, you know, I'm generous with the tips, but that's a, I would never tip a cashier. 
I, I just never. You know, so, well, you might not know this, but so when tips come in and they don't go just to the cashier, you would divide that. Oh, with no, the I know that okay. for the jar, I get that. But that's not the, I, I'm not, you've so done. But you've said you were tipping the cashier. You said that like at, at the takeout restaurant, like you're not tipping the cashier. You're tipping the whole, you're tipping the whole staff. Oh, I know. But it's the cashier okay. standing there in front okay. of me, you know, and, you know, clicking. Yeah, it's, it's a quote unquote jar when yeah. I hit the button. I get that. But that's not, I don't tip for that kind of thing. No. Well, because, I mean. I'm it, putting my foot down, people. Well, no, I get it because, <laughs> I mean, like, what is. What's the service? I, what's this? What? But you made paying. me the sandwich or you processed the order. I mean, you processed the order by clicking the buttons. You don't get tips for that. But is it the customer's, is it the customer's responsibility to increase the pay of the employees? Definitely not. Because then the you're saying during like the, the COVID era, should people have felt obligated to during the COVID era? There, there were special circumstances there. But I in still everyday don't, society, but my answer is still I'm uh, maybe call me heartless. I'd say no there too. I, yeah, but if you suddenly are not having servers that were depending on the, they pay servers. There's lots of people with lots of jobs who had the same problem. They're not special. Mm, okay. I mean, it's just, the businesses that were shut down was way more than just restaurants. Or, yeah, that's true. Um, they're the most obvious to a lot of people, but they were certainly not the only ones. So why did why is it special for that? I no, I mean, to me, we were all in the same boat together. So, I think with restaurant workers, there was maybe a little bit more compassion there because, and I'm just I'm speculating here. Most restaurant workers, they're not getting benefits at the restaurant. They're, you know, they're well, more not, likely to work paycheck yeah, not to normally. paycheck. Yeah, I mean, they used to get uh, less than minimum wage, right? Yeah, and I don't know what the tips only, but, but now I think in California they, they get yeah, there's wage, there's some rules there. But you're, you're more likely to live paycheck to paycheck. You're more likely to not have True. benefits. Well, it's and a, so it's an entry level job. So yeah. Well, for some, I mean, people that are working at high end restaurants. Well, but that's different. That's a unique thing, right? So a professional waiter. Yeah, in a and high end restaurant. About. Fine, but that's what what's a, the difference between him losing his job or or getting a massive pay cut in every other business? He's not special. Well, it could be in another business though that if they're working full time, they could have have better benefits in in california than maybe well, no, I mean, <laughs> you're that's making me real. sound very heartless no but. i'm just i'm trying to come up with the different yeah. reasons of why you might look at someone who's a server versus someone who works for a salary who might have vacation pay and which a lot of times it doesn't come necessarily with working as a server May, you know maybe part of my problem is because you know i work for myself yeah. And I don't have vacation. And I no don't have benefits. You. I don't get tips. You don't get a tip jar. You no, know, I don't work. I don't get paid. So, yeah, maybe. maybe you I'm, are, so, yeah, you're maybe on the I'm totally instinctively other. kind of non-sympathetic uh, because that I, I live that life normally yeah. anyway. No, I so. get that. You're like, I, I could, don't work. That, I don't get paid. Yeah. So, no one's going to, no one's going to like flow down <laughs> Nobody, and give me no. a tip jar. And by the way... uh California or whoever was supposed to send the what, what were those checks people were getting during the COVID the hundred dollar checks or whatever remember there's a what did they call those I don't know they were like checks, I mean we checks that people got from the government because people weren't being paid or whatever what were they called those assistance checks like it went out to everybody yeah I never got a check well maybe you made too much money. 
Uh, there's people who made more money than me, I think, got checks. No, we got a check. Well, anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that I needed the check, but yes. I'm just no, pointing out I definitely first, didn't get one. You're the first person who, let, you're not the first person I've, I've heard that from. They're like, I never got, or like, I got like five cents or something, you know, like some, because it's just a math thing and it <laughs> generates it. <laughs> By the way, people, don't get the wrong idea. I'm not money bags here. Hey, you <laughs> don't making, work. She's making it sound like. No, 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 no. If you don't work, you don't get paid. I get it. Like, And also, no one's giving you tips. But I think back to the original tipping concept, it's become very confusing. Yeah, listen. And I don't like it. And I the, don't like it. This whole thing with the turning around the screen and having the, the buttons and what is it like? I think it starts at 15 and 20, 25%. Yes. I mean, it's usually and a then, percent and button. custom. Yeah, well. Who's doing the? Oh, I guess the custom. No, if custom. you wanted to do less, than. I'm doing custom now. And is that because you're doing less than what's offered, or yes, okay, I'm doing right. what I would have normally done if uh, I was okay, going to put right. something in a tip jar, which is usually if if I'm at a coffee shop. Yeah, it's it's a small. It's a and buck, I, it's a buck. Yeah, and so yeah, and that's what I would have normally done in the past, and just because somehow it's on the computer now. But to the point uh, that I think you're going with here, this social pressure. I don't like this at all. I think this is, I don't think it's professional. I don't think businesses should be doing this. Um, it's a money grab. It's, it, you're making your customer feel uncomfortable. Like if I'm the owner, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to do this because I feel like I'm, uh, the, the customer is being made to feel uncomfortable and obligated in a way that he shouldn't be, in my opinion. Yeah. Because you're just I, processing a transaction at a register. That, no, I don't. I don't think you should be, I, and listen, if you're 18 years old working at a cashier in a coffee shop, you should not be expecting a bunch of tips. <laughs> okay. If that is your expectation, uh, I think you need to recalibrate because. Well, that, I think that, but now that is the expectation because uh, it's become, we're, this isn't like a trend. I mean, this is a new, this is, I think here for the future. I think it's a done deal. I think it's a done deal. And then now it's going to be added to everything. Like me just paying for my pre-negotiated photographer's fee. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly being asked to add a tip on. I can't, that is just crazy to me that, especially on something like a photographer, you're already, char you're charging me what you think you deserve to get. That's exactly don't, it. Don't tell that me. That was exactly like, the problem. A, a, like the A server has no control over what the cost of the whole process is going to be. Yeah. It's nothing to do with that. Okay. And they're trying to step up and go above and beyond and make you feel like a king for a day at that restaurant. I don't care if it's Denny's or if it's, you know, some fancy swanky place in New York city, but a photographer, you're saying I will do your wedding, whatever your thing is, your family portrait for X dollars. That's done. Don't come ask for a tip after that. Cause then, then you've, your what you've asked for isn't yeah then you you don't think that was enough yeah that exactly I, just, uh, yeah exactly that was it i'm like wait a minute we already like this you is gave spreading me your fee schedule if you, this is spreading to other industries like that, it, that i 100 believe it is that's bad and i i don't think that's good and i think a lot of people will be very disappointed <laughs> well no they are i i got this article and then i saw it was like this article and then there's other articles and then of course you've got the one that's like tip etiquette where how much you should tip and so it was the fully accepting article and mm -hmm. all these different professions and what you should be tipping at you know different areas and it becomes you just you can't keep it straight you don't know what your what your etiquette is where you're supposed to i mean i do i think it's restaurant people 
a certain amount at the counter for takeout. Like if you're going to get ice cream, you know, it's a buck. (laughs) I wouldn't even do that. (laughs) Okay. That's fine. That's okay. And then um, I think, you know, my hairdresser and. I'm trying to think, who do I tip? The only, I think I can only think of three things I ever tip. Haircut, you know, restaurant server and car wash. Car wash. Yeah, the guy okay. doing the car wash. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know if he, if he, yeah. you know, went, you know, that thing where they do it by hand or, or whatever. Yeah, they're the guy drying it and vacuuming and all that stuff. You know, I tip those guys. Although I don't ever go to those things anymore, but um, I, I can't think of anything else I would ever tip. There's a couple things like we've done uh, some vacations, some rafting, river rafting vacations, mm. and they tell you I though. Can, I kind of get that because you know you're getting a you know tour guide who or. Tour per, or whatever they call that person, yeah, like and they could, their, the and they could just be amazing. Well, I, I it's, could see that it's built into the price. So they, but they tell you ahead of time. They say this is the price of the. Oh, so they're already. It's like a restaurant. You, you know, you have more than eight people. They automatically. They don't automatically tell you. They don't say that this is what you have to do. But they say that it's built into the price. No, but they tell you like this is this is the price, and then yeah, um, this is what you're gonna have. We recommend you tip your guides. Okay, and it's twenty percent. And how that works is then that money again goes into the kitty at the end. So everyone that gives uh, tips to – because there's usually maybe like five or seven guys. Uh, see, I don't like that. I, I, I don't like that customer on – a, on a service like that, I don't like that. I don't like that. I, I would – only be inclined to tip if the guy or girl whatever was just like amazing and i I, know they have been amazing i know but but i that i'm good with but i just don't like the upfront well it's customary to give you know twenty dollars oh no i like it i like it but but then the problem with that is you feel obligated now and what if it was what if it like i i want my my socks knocked off but you, and that's but in, that's the only time. And then it occurs to me, like, oh, you know what? We should, you know, this guy was so good. Let's let's uh, everybody come on. Let's give him an extra, you know, whatever. Well, that's how I want it to work. <laughs> okay. The reason they tell you, and then we'll we'll close this out. The reason they tell you in advance is because they divide and like on a river trip, they divide that tip up between the whole crew. So there's like seven people that are running it, and there's one like one main guide. And so you would give that money to the main guy, and then they divide that up between the seven people. And so that that money is difference. I, why? Well, because that's why it's so much. It can be so much money. Yeah, but I look. I'm not. Tipping, and also, listen. But you I have to do it at the time. I'm like, not tipping the people I can't see. No, I'm not no, doing no, no. that. You, they're the people you're with the whole time. Well, then, if they're not the person in charge of my experience, I ain't tipping them. No, but you have seven people in I'm charge. Not, of like I'm not tipping the. The uh, the bus boy don't care, okay. But you know, they're if, they're tipping him. Well, yeah. If there is some arrangement that they have, no, there is an arrangement. That's how. That's what I'm saying. Works. That's fine. Okay. But I'm not. They do not factor into my calculus at all. The only thing that matters is did that server make me feel like the king? Yes. Here's a big fat tip for you, buddy. And Do with that, it what you will. Yeah, and then that server then gives the yeah. tip to the but bus boy. In in this case, by the way, I actually don't think it should be fair for uh, a a the policy of a restaurant that the bus boys are required to get a portion of that. I think the way it should work is that if from the server standpoint, the bus boys or whatever they call them now, they probably have some other term now. But if the bus boy is you know making the server look good the server's like hey buddy man you made me look awesome here's here's money from my tips for you 
See, I think it, that's how it should work. The whole tip system should be like that. It shouldn't be like, oh, okay, well, okay, get all the bus boys together. Okay, everybody, here's your little portion. I don't like that because there's no, that's 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 not why we're tipping. Well, and then what you're describing is it's about then, merit, right? It's about merit yes, and performance. And that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It basically it, it when you start, you know, t- when you turn the thing around and you stick it in people's faces, no matter what. Yeah. You, you've taken away any incentive right. to uh, outshine everyone exactly. around you. Exactly. The whole you. purpose of that is because yeah. you're you are just being like amazing, and and people should be wanting to be like, dude, you are so good at this. Here's an extra twenty. Take your girlfriend out. You know, whatever. You know, like that's that should be the way it's it's all driven around that kind of thing. And then if it was that way, then those people would be way more motivated to perf- to perform that way in my opinion. I see that. Um, it's a complicated subject and I think but, we're only going to be <laughs> I that almost sounded like a whole show topic. <laughs> we did because it's complicated. We're going to we will this is not the end of this topic. It's only <laughs> going to get more and more, I think, airtime because this flipping the thing around or this new thing today when I went to go pay online for something and I get the tip thing popped up God. where I was like, what? Uh, I, it was, I was already thinking I was going to talk about this. And then when that popped up and this photographer, I love this photographer. Every, I, I, every penny we paid was well spent, but this was like a, a weird, ending moment yeah. with this person and so not like, a good way to enter because uh, to me a pro- that's kind of a profession i mean not in the same educated way as a doctor lawyer but a professional photographer that's a profession oh yeah and, and this person's so very you, good. you have a fee schedule like you said and that's what it is yeah and you've negotiated that don't don't be asked that's just not cool well it just that makes you seem like less like only non-professions do that like no professional is going to ever ask for a tip. Well, it's like a doctor. Could you imagine going right, into the doctor's office? Like, if you're, you're asking even... for a tip, you are actually degrading the kind of hierarchical level of your profession where you stand in the hierarchy. That's a really good point because that's exactly how I felt. And, yeah. I, and then going back to being at the um, the nurse when I got my uh, peel. When the lady ran up to me and said, no, we don't tip the providers. I'm like, absolutely, we don't. That'd be so weird and that's tipping prob- a doctor. That's probably why she was like that, too, because she's like, we're not we're tipping us. That's Who do you think we are? We're not. <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. She And when the, her, her apology to me was so sincere. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's exactly what she was trying to prevent. Mm-hmm. Like no, this person is a trained professional. This is a, a professional, but this not is, not that the facialist isn't because they are also trained. But it's a different type of it, business it, it, model, and it is. And I I don't mean it in a disparaging way, but let's be honest. I mean, the cashier is not the same as as the service provider is not the same as yes. the as the doctor. And you know, th- there is a hierarchy here yeah. of of uh, of of the kinds of services that are provided to us usually age and experience and education related that's fine that's normal yeah okay oh, okay all right i felt i felt like that i got a little ranty on that's that. okay no that's what <laughs> hey that is why we're here that's, that's what true I you say. keep reminding me that yeah no that's why we're here okay well that was a fun episode and uh we'll just figure out if we want to you know trust our experts and maybe hopefully they don't ask us for tips <laughs> The answer is no to both. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) Okay, bye. All right, see you next time. Thank you for listening to the I'll Think About It podcast. We hope we've given you something to think about. Please share us with your friends and on your social media. Goodbye for now.
Look at us. It's only 412. Oh, we're getting good at this. So good. Oh, no. Oh, don't tell me. Oh, no. Shit. Did I fuck it up? Aaron, you have a backup bow. You know, well, hopefully this is working. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that's why That's why we have backups. <laughs> <laughs>